Okay. So uh, microphones kind of scare me a little bit, but we're going to get this done. Um, <laughs> so anyways, I'm really stoked to be here tonight, guys. Um, I really love that Andrew uh, let me share this message with you. I've actually been crying about this for a while. I know that sounds a little bit weird, but just hearing about how there's like actually a way that Paul the Apostle was trying to empower women, and we use those verses to disempower them, just something stirred in my spirit totally as a guy. And I just felt like crying. I just felt like breaking down because... Yeah, and we're going to get into that. But tonight, um, before we get there, I really want to do an exercise with you guys. And I want you all to say this with me, okay? So say that I was born to rock. Are you ready? One, two, three. I was born to rock. Guys, so I really believe it. I don't know if you've come to that realization yet, but God actually made you to rock, right? Like totally. And so I think tonight, the reason I have such a heart for this is because there's people, especially in the church, that are trying to tell women that they actually can't rock as hard as men, okay? And we're going to talk about that tonight. We are going there, okay? (laughs) So uh, we're going to start out by praying, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much much. I pray you would just release identity into all of us, and you would just show us that you created your people to rock. There's something about hanging out with Jesus that just makes you feel like, I'm the greatest person in the world. And some of you right now, as I'm praying, you're like, yo, is this prayer? Yes, it's prayer. It's like, dude, you think that that's like pride. But you know what? Jesus' disciples were just random fishermen, and they started arguing about who is the greatest. Once they got around Jesus, they weren't talking about, yo, which side for fishing? They were talking about, yo, I am the greatest, right? I was born to rock. So I just pray that you would meet the person of Jesus. And we might even start arguing about who is the greatest. So I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Guys. <laughs> anyway, so tonight, I'm really excited to talk to you guys about God's most beautiful creation. Um, I really think specifically there's three verses that are strongholds in the Bible that people use to disempower women, right? So there's a guy named Chris Valentin. He's a preacher at Bethel. If you heard of him, he's really cool. He wrote a sermon on 1 Corinthians chapter 14, which we're going to look at tonight. It was 26 pages long. So I'm just preparing you guys. I talk a little bit fast. I'm going to try really hard to slow down, especially at the important parts. Um, And yeah, my sermon's only six pages and it's three verses, but there's so much content that we could be here. But we're not preaching the eternal gospel tonight. My heart tonight is that I really want to give you guys 30-second responses to these verses. I want you to be able to look at the verse and in less than 30 seconds, just kind of shed some light on what Paul was really trying to write there, what the context behind it is, or at least the way that I see it, right? So there's three reasons that this sermon... I think is important. The first one is that there's this woman named Rory Jensen, right? She's actually a leader of churches in Australia. She happens to have Taylor's last name. That's cool, right? So anyways, <laughs> um, she's been planting churches in Australia for years, and she's part of the movement of God there. She confessed to Chris Valentin after one of his messages on women that she actually felt plagued every morning. She would wake up and wonder, am I doing something wrong? Because she was the senior pastor of a church. She was a female apostle, right? And so sometimes in the church that gets a little bit taboo. People are like, well, you know, maybe you can lead a Bible study, but can you be a senior pastor? I don't know, right? And so we're going to talk about the verses that they use to make that argument and why Paul was actually trying to empower women. So anyways, the second reason is that, guys, I'm going to slow down for this one. I think that there's something that's broken about the church right now. I've seen men get up and speak, and I've seen men get up and lead in churches, and some of them are trying to lead in both roles. They're trying to be a mother and a father at the same time. And we know where we have friends that have lived and grown up in single mom and single dad families, and there is something that you lose. There is something that breaks when you miss the voice of one parent, right? And so the reason I've been crying about this message is because God showed me that there is a voice missing from the church, that there is a vacuum of voicelessness where women haven't been empowered to preach. Women haven't been empowered to live in their destinies, right? Um, And so the third reason uh, is there's a girl here named Brie Luquay. She's really awesome. At the first Crux meeting, I hope I didn't butcher your last name. Anyways, at the first Crux meeting, um, we were all praying, and she had this prayer that God gave her. God gave her this picture of a chain, right? And she said, sometimes there's one link in the chain that needs to break before you can believe that God is good. And for me, one of those lies that was keeping me from believing my dad was good was the way that I saw women treated in the church. And you know what? I just had no answer for it. I saw it, and I was like, yo, that's wrong. And I mean, my church is pretty cool. Like, we treat women pretty well. But I would see it in other churches, you know, those other people over there, right? And I'd just be like, 
yo, that's messed up. So <laughs> I didn't know why, though. Um, so before we get into this, guys, I want to give you some context. We want to honor women. We want to bless our women. But just giving you some context is going to help when we look at these passages. So this part is going to go incredibly fast, and I'm sorry about that. So um, there in the Old Testament, Moses gave the law, and there's about 200 laws given right? And so what's interesting is that there's this religion called Judaism. When you hear the word Judaism, people think that it's Jewish people's religion. That's not exactly what's happening, right? The people of God who followed the law of Moses, they actually were like, we are the sons of Abraham, right? Our father is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They did not have a name for their religion. In a lot of ways, they were an ethnic people group, right? And so in the, after the book of Malachi, before the book of Matthew, there's a gap of 400 years of silence where there's no books written. During that time period, a new religion started called Judaism. And this is when Jesus is living on the earth. Judaism has reigned and ruled for 400 years. The Pharisees are the ones who started Judaism, and they increased the law to more than 600. 100 of the laws they added were meant to disempower women, meant to oppress women women, right? And so there's this religion called Judaism, and there's no Pharisees in the Old Testament. There's no Sadducees in the Old Testament. They come out of the period of 400 years of silence. So now I'm going to go just ridiculous, right? So the context, I want to tell you how Jewish people treated women, and I'm literally just going to read this, so I apologize. In the first century, Israel had no people groups that were as oppressed as women. They had no rights, no respect. They were the property of men. They could not talk in public. If a man came over for dinner, all the women had to go in a separate room and eat, right? Jewish women could not vote. They had no political power whatsoever. They could not even be the witness to a crime or a witness in a court. Their testimony was completely inadmissible because they were unreliable, right? They were not treated as citizens. And so there was a famous rabbi in the first century that said, I would rather burn the Torah than teach it to a woman. So when Jesus comes on the scene, when you hear him talk to Mary and Martha, this is the reality that Jesus is walking into, okay? And so when you're reading the New Testament and you're hearing Paul write letters to churches and talk about how women should behave and stuff that's happening, there's three people groups that he's talking to. We just talked about Jews. There's Roman people who are less restrictive than Jews. Women can work outside the home, own property with permission from their husbands, and there's arranged marriages, which is weird, right? And then there's Greeks, and they totally straight up worship women, right? They're the third people group. They make goddesses out of women, and they think, and this is awkward, guys, so I'm sorry. They think that women are more powerful than men men for two reasons, and there's only one that matters to them. First reason, women can actually bring life into the world, and men can't do it, right? And uh, the second reason, and this is, if you ask Greek people in the first century, this is what they would say. They said that women had power over men because women had something that men wanted, and they had control over whether the man got it or not. So if you didn't get it yet, I'm talking about sex. And so because <laughs> women had control over that, that they had power over a man, men's sex drives were more powerful than women, and they were like subject. So anyways, I know that's weird, but this is the reality that Paul is writing these letters to Jewish people, Roman people, and Greek people. So know the Greeks. They're living in a reality, and I know it's weird. They're living in a reality where women have power over men because of sex. Okay. So anyways, like I said, there's three verses used to disempower women. And um, before we go there, I just want to talk about context a little bit, because some of you might think, oh, you know, that's just the Bible. The Bible's the Bible, and I just believe what the Bible says, and context is not important. What I want to say is that you can't relate to the book of Corinthians like you relate to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus, one of the books of the law, was written as almost a constitution for an entire people group, right? It was written for how to tell Israel, all of the Israelites, how to act. And the book of Corinthians was actually a letter that Paul wrote to a specific group of people that happened to be Greek, right, that live in the city of Corinth. And we just talked about how Greek people live their lives. So he's not writing to like a Jewish, like, you know, believers. Anyways, um, I'm going to give you two quotes from Chris Valentin. The first one is the most important. It says, you cannot superimpose God's situational counsel over universal circumstances and still have it be redemptive in every situation. 
And so I think if we take Corinthians out of the context, if we forget the reality with temple prostitutes and all this stuff that Paul was writing to the church, that we lose the meaning when we try to apply it to every circumstance. Because Paul wrote a letter to a people group who were struggling with specific issues. There is a context, right? Um, The next quote is, the epistles teach us how God thinks. But the only time you would apply this specific paragraph or verse to your situation is if you had the same context that it was written. Okay, so now we're just going to go straight into the Bible. That's my best attempt at the context. Uh, We're going to read 1 Corinthians 14.26 first. So I don't even know if that's legible up there. Okay. Um, (laughs) Do you have 1 Corinthians 14.26? Okay. No. Um, 26, did I not put that one? Um, anyway, so verse 26, we're going to use the um, David uh, annotated translation, that translation, right? So um, the 26 basically says that Paul is talking to the believers in Corinth, and he says that you all have a teaching to share. You all have a, okay, it says, what then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, but let all, be, let all things be done in the building of uh, each other up, Right? And so it's important that we have verse 26 because we're about to go into one of the most restrictive passages for women in the Bible. And uh, it's kind of hard to read that up there. So I am just going to give you kind of like the interpretation. Again, the David Knox annotated translation. It's not authorized, right? Um, So 1 Corinthians 14, 31 through 38. Basically, if you just put verse 34 up, I'm just going to go through all of them, but just leave it on verse 34. It basically just says that Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth and he says that women should learn in all submissiveness and that they should keep quiet in church just like it says in the law of Moses. If they have a question about theology, they should ask their husbands, right? And so that verse might sound really intense from the get-go, right? But I'm actually trying to tell you guys that in 1 Corinthians 14, 34 to 36, and you can read it later if you really want, um, Paul is actually trying to set women free. That this, more than any other verse, perhaps besides Galatians 3.28, which is pretty good, and we'll look at that later. Um, More than any verse in the Bible, Paul is trying to set women free with this verse. And if you read it, it sounds like the exact opposite. It sounds like women are going to have a lot of trouble doing verse 26. If you remember when we just read it, if women have a prophecy and a teaching and a spiritual hymn to share, it's going to be pretty hard to share that if you can't talk, right? So uh, <laughs> um, basically, I'm just going to tell you guys what most seminary preachers preach on this message just really quick, and I'm going to start going to way talk fast mode. So seminary preachers give a classical interpretation where all the women sit on one side of the church, all the men sit on one side of the church. They say that what was happening is the women are yelling across the aisles and saying like, hey, who's Moses, right? And they're just asking these theological questions to the men during the service, and it's really disorderly. So Paul has been a guest speaker at this church, and he's incredibly frustrated with this group of women that is yelling across the aisles and gossiping during church. And so Paul is like, this group of women, you all need to shut up. And so what is interesting about that translation, guys, is that that translation makes it so that Paul is not telling all women forever to just be quiet, but he is telling a specific group of women to be quiet. So when I studied this and I looked at the seminary documents, I wasn't satisfied because I still felt like Paul was saying this group of women was kind of misbehaving, so they have lost their right to talk. Okay, so now if you can put up this slide, that's the three reasons about 1 Corinthians 14. So there's three reasons, guys, why I think this verse is actually Paul's biggest thrust in the New Testament to set women free, even though it sounds like he's disempowering them. Remember the verse? It says that... uh, Basically, women should keep quiet in church, and if they have a question, they should ask their husbands. So this, I think, for three reasons, Paul is using to empower women. The first reason is there's this letter in Greek um, that's this little weird-looking N, and it's called the expletive of disassociation. When you make a statement in Greek, and then you put the expletive of disassociation at the end, it has a different meaning. The second reason is there's this little phrase in 1 Corinthians. It says, women should keep quiet in church like it says in the law of Moses, okay? The third reason is verse 26, which we talked about, which says every person in your church has a teaching to share. Every person has a hymn. They all have a song. They all have a whatever to share, okay? So we're going to look and focus in on those three reasons right now. So first, we're going to talk about the expletive of disassociation. So don't just say, oh, this is all Greek to me, right? No, no, don't go there. (laughs) This is really, really simple, okay? So when you write something in Greek, 
and then you put the expletive of disassociation at the end. It's used to mean two things. David Hamilton, the author of a book called Why Not Women, he says it like this, that the expletive of disassociation is used to mean what? Nonsense. No way. Okay, so you make a statement in Greek, you put the expletive of disassociation, and it basically means what? No way. That is nonsense. Okay, right? That's the first way it's used in the New Testament. I could prove it to you. Not going to happen. Okay, so the second way it's used in the New Testament is it's used when you are quoting somebody else. Think about it. It makes logical sense, right? If you have a statement in Greek and you expletive or disassociation it, you're saying, hey, I don't agree with this statement, and this is from someone else. It's almost like citing someone. Someone else said this, and now I'm going to talk to you about it. Okay, second reason. It says the phrase, women should keep quiet in church. And I mean this to hurt you guys a little bit until you see it, just like it says in the law of Moses. You know why I know that Paul is not making a statement of saying all women need to shut up or this group of women needs to shut up? Because I've read the law of Moses. Yo, I tried to find Jesus in Leviticus, man. (laughs) I tried, okay? And he's there, but it's hard. You got to do some digging, okay? You got to dig. And so I know the law of Moses, and it does not say in the law of Moses that women should keep quiet, okay? And so Paul is a Pharisee among Pharisees. He is an expert of the law, and he knows it better than anyone. And he would never say that women should keep quiet in church like it says in the law of Moses if it does not say that in the law of Moses, okay? So remember our context. There are these people called the Pharisees. They started a religion, Judaism. Pharisees oppress women. Women cannot be witnesses in court. They have to eat in a separate room, okay? Pharisees. Pharisees say that the law has 600, not 200 laws. In the Pharisaical traditions that are set up in the Toset and the Talmud and just all this stuff, right? <laughs> it basically does say that women need to really be quiet. And if they have a question of theology, they must ask their husbands. Because remember, you can't even teach a woman the Torah. It would be better to burn it from the Jewish rabbi perspective, right? So of course they're going to have questions like, who's Moses? You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> And so, just before we move on, guys, if we were in a Greek city, um, and basically the women are over here, and they're saying, who's Moses? And the men are over here, right? I'll tell you what the men would say. I don't know, because they all grew up Greek, right? They didn't grow up with the Old Testament. They don't know who Moses is. They just had an encounter with Jesus, and they're still figuring it out. So if the women are like, hey, who's Abraham? They'd be like, I don't know. Okay, so I don't think the classical interpretation is right, and they have studied for years, and it's great. But anyways, verse 26 is the third reason. I think I'm talking too fast, so I'm sorry. Basically, 26 says that everyone has a teaching to share and a hymn and uh, an interpretation and a tongue and all this stuff, right? So I just want to give you guys this example. This is from Danny Silk. Um, If we all were in a classroom, like summer vacation just happened, we get back, the teacher's like, hey, we just had summer vacation. We're all going to share because we can all learn from each other's experiences. So I want to go around the room and have every person share about their summer vacation, right? Who wants to go first? And then right before someone raises their hand, the teacher's like, but one thing, all of the women can't talk, right? Wouldn't I be a weird teacher if I said, hey, let's all share about our summer vacation, but none of the women can say anything. After I just tried to prove to you that we all have something to share and that God was telling me that we have something to share with each other to benefit each other, right? So that doesn't make any sense if I'm telling the women they can't speak, okay? So anyways, uh, now we're going to go back into the David Knox annotated translation, right? That translation, okay? And we're going to talk about my opinion. This is my opinion, guys, but I think it's right. We're going to talk about my opinion of what verse 26 through 38 says, okay? So you can read that on your own time because, like, you know, there's, like, this modeling stuff up there. So it says, this is the David Knox translation. It says, hey, you all should prophesy and teach and help each other grow. The women, too, right? Paul is saying, I received a commandment from the Lord. You all have something to share, so you need to teach each other and learn from each other. We go into verse 34. He makes the statement, women should keep quiet in church. And if they have a question about theology, they should ask their husbands. And just like it says in the law of Moses, right? And so right after that statement in verse 36, he puts that expletive of disassociation and says, what? That is nonsense. And then he goes on. Trust me, if you read this in the classical interpretation, verse 36 makes no sense because this is the David annotated translation of verse 36. 
I mean, what? Did the revelation of God come to you only? Come on, get over yourself. You think you're spiritual because you added something to the law. You think you're spiritual because you oppress women and you have a power over them. And that is how you feel powerful, okay? And the word of God came to me. I told you the commandment of the Lord that you all should prophesy. And you're the one who tried to add something to God's word, okay? So that is what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 14. All right. So we can consider that stronghold broken, okay? So we're going to go on to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 through 15. Um, and uh, like I said, it's kind of hard for me to read that up there, so I'm just going to kind of summarize it for you. Uh, you can put up on the screen if you want, maybe stop at verse 13. But yeah, so basically what it says is, um, he says something like, women should learn, he says something like, be quiet in all submissiveness and learn from the uh, teaching. And it says, I do not permit a woman to have authority over man because Adam was created first and Eve was the one who was deceived. But there's a catch. If women, uh, basically women can receive uh, salvation through childbearing, right? If they continue in all holiness and properness or something, right? So, so, what, so what is happening in this verse is, um, <clears throat> can you put up the three reasons? There's three reasons why I think it's not a blanket statement that is trying to say that all women cannot teach men, and the reason they can't teach men is because Adam was created first, okay? And there's that whole verse 15 problem. That's the first reason. See, verse 15, I know I might have butchered it, but it basically says women can receive salvation through bearing children if they continue in all holiness and like faithfulness or something, right? So if any of you have heard the Bible for even a little bit, even if you're not a believer, I think you probably heard that salvation is based on faith and not by anything that you can do, right? So that's reason number one why I think, huh, maybe Paul is not making this blanket statement of disempowering women. Reason number two, that Adam was created first part. That seems a little bit weird, right? Oh, because Adam was created first, he, you know, he's better than the woman, right? Makes perfect sense. Except the fish were created before Adam, okay? So, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Do you think that we serve fish? You know, you serve fish when you eat them. You don't serve fish because they were created before you, okay? Anyways, the last reason is don't go and say this is all Greek to me, but it's Greek again, people. So there's this word in Greek. I can't pronounce this. Uh, it's called anthutine, and it's only used once in all of the Bible, right? And it's a very negative connotation of authority. And I gotta take a drink. Okay, so just to give you some background. <laughs> I'm not going to drop the mic. So just to give you some background, um, there's actually this, uh, this letter, 1 Timothy, is Paul. He had a spiritual son. He had a person that he met that became so close to him that he called him his son, okay? And he taught Timothy everything he knew about the Bible. And so Timothy had started pastoring a church in um, Ephesus, right? And so what's going on in Ephesus that's important here is that Ephesus, their number one principal deity that they yell and they scream way louder than we did tonight. They just go in the middle of the square and they just start screaming, great is Diana in all the earth, great is Diana, right? Okay, so Diana Singus, you don't have to worry. Her name is with one N, not two, okay? So anyways, the Ephesians would run around the city and they would say, great isn't Diana in all the earth, right? This is the reality that... Um, that Timothy is trying to pastor a church and all of these people would just go crazy and worship Diana. Now, Diana is the goddess. She's also called Artemis for you scholars out there. Um, so Artemis or Diana is the goddess of fertility, right? And the reason they would run around the streets saying, great is Diana in all the earth is because there's so many people that died when they were bearing children that it was believed that if you paid homage to Diana and you ran around praising her, even if you're like pregnant, then when you bear your child or when you can, I don't even know what the word is, when you just, you know, you, you have a baby. Um, <laughs> when you did that, your baby wouldn't die and you wouldn't die, right? Because you paid homage to Diana, the goddess of fertility. Okay, so these, there's a group of women that has entered the church in Ephesus and they are preaching three major doctrines. And Paul actually is addressing these cultic women's doctrines, one, two, three. Here's their three doctrines. You know, number one, okay? Number one is that if you don't worship Diana and run through the streets and say, great is Diana and all the earth, right? Then you will die during childbirth because you didn't pay homage to this false God. Okay, their second teaching 
is that women have authority over men. Why do we have to go there again? You know why. Okay, we're not going there again. So women have authority over men, but they take it a step further. And they say that men have to have all their desires subject to a woman and that women domineer over men. Okay, third doctrine of theirs. And they're just making this stuff up, right? They believe that Eve was created first, created before Adam, and that when she ate the fruit, she actually enlightened all of humanity, taught them the difference between right and wrong, and she set them free from a bondage, right? And when Adam was created after, he was almost like a male consort. And uh, we're not going to talk about what that word means. So anyways, <laughs> let's... Let's go through the reasons. So there's this cult in Ephesus, right? They worship the goddess Diana, okay? And they have those three teachings. So now we're going to go through the three reasons. First reason is verse 15. Remember what verse 15 says. It says, again, David Knox annotated translation. It says um, that women will receive salvation through childbearing if they continue in all holiness and something. Okay, right? So um, basically what's going on here is that, like I said, women would actually travel from all over the world to have their babies in Ephesus because they believed if they worshiped Diana, they would not die. And there was an incredibly, incredibly high mortality rate during bearing children without any medical procedures, without even midwives there all the time. There were so many people who died and they were searching for hope. Okay, and so there was a cult that came into Ephesus and they said, hey, if you worship Diana and God and Jesus, then you won't die when you're bearing children. That was one of their doctrines. So reason number two, they believed Eve was created first. Remember, so um, we kind of already talked about that because fish were created before Adam. So I don't think animals or fish have authority over Adam. So the fact that Adam was created before Eve gives him no authority over her. Now, if you believe he does have authority over her in some way, let me tell you, it's not because he was created first, okay? <laughs> because animals. Anyways, so the third reason is there's 47 words in the Bible used for authority and through time is only used once. And it basically means to murder oneself with your own hand, to commit suicide. And over time, it, was, it started to mean um, one who acts on his own authority and governs or exercises authority over another or domineers someone. So remember their teaching that all of men's desires must be subject to a woman, okay? And so these women were coming into Timothy's church even when he was trying to preach, and they were basically trying to preach these three doctrines, okay? And so what, it's, what it looks like um, is something like this. So there's a woman that's pregnant who's in Timothy's church, right? And so the women are coming up to this woman and they're saying things like, oh my gosh, you're pregnant. That's so cool. Like, I'm so excited for you to have your baby. Like, when are you going to come by the temple? And she's like, you mean synagogue? You know, like with Timothy? And he's like, no, when are you going to come by the temple to Diana, right? Because if you don't come by the temple and you don't worship Diana, you're going to die and your baby's going to die. You don't want that, right? You know what else they were telling these women? Hey, you actually have authority over your husbands, and you have to make the decisions not just for you, but for him and your entire household. So when you raise that baby, you have to do it totally on your own because your husband is what? A consort, okay? We're not going to talk about what that means. So anyways, um, the last thing that they were saying is that, man, I don't even remember. Praise the Lord. Oh, the last thing that they were saying is that uh, Eve was created first, okay? So anyways... There was these women coming up to women in Timothy's church in Ephesus who loved the Lord, and they were putting all these restrictions on them. And some of you might think, like, wait, having all these men serve you? That doesn't sound like that much of a restriction. I'm not going to prove this to you guys, but I can with personal stories. Worshiping any human being actually hurts the person you are worshiping more than anyone else. If you put someone up on a pedestal, you're going to be nothing but heartbreak, unmet expectations, and so much anxiety. You cannot meet this person's expectation for you to be God, you to take care of their desires, and your own, okay? If you don't have two whole people in a relationship, it is going to fail, okay? So these women were being oppressed in three different ways in Ephesus. And so when Paul was making the statement, hey, I'm telling you, these women, this group of women, this time it is specific, okay? This specific group of women that he talks about in 1 Timothy 5.13, I do not permit them to teach in your church because of their filter, because of what they teach, okay? And then he goes and he lists all three of the doctrines that they preach. That's why he randomly says, hey, yo, Adam was created first, okay? Because he's trying to clear up something. They've never read the Torah. They're Greeks, remember? So he's like, yo, they're just making up doctrines out of nowhere and trying to put restrictions on you. Sound familiar? 
Pharisees. Okay, so this is like a different type of Pharisee that is restricting women by empowering them in a perverse way, okay? And there is nothing that hurt women more besides actually the brutality of the Jews than what the Greeks were doing in the city of Ephesus, right? By putting all these things on the women. Okay, so Paul was trying to set these women free in Ephesus, okay? And so... Are we done? Oh, wait, no. So we're going to talk about the David annotated translation. This is my idea of what Paul's train of thought is when he is writing to his spiritual son, Timothy. Okay, so he's saying, look, there's these women in your church that are violently exercising authority, and I do not permit them to teach or have authority in the way that they want. These women should be quiet and learn from the scriptures because they have not read the Torah. Their argument doesn't make sense because Adam was created before Eve. This women, this group of women is actually under a deception. Just like Eve was deceived, they have been led astray. That's why it says Adam was created first and Eve was deceived. He's not trying to say Adam's better because he wasn't deceived. He's trying to say this group of women was deceived just like Eve. Okay, and are we... We're really close. And then it says, you need to worship Artemis. You must worship the goddess Diana in addition to God, or you will die when you're bearing children. And I'm concerned for your safety. So I'm trying to tell you, if you don't worship her, you're going to die, okay? And so Paul's like, no, 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 I'm not having any of that. You are not doing that to my women. You are not doing that to the daughters of the Most High King, okay? And so that is why he wrote to Timothy, and that is why he said, I do not permit women to and through time over a man. I don't permit women to have a domineering authority over a man. And Adam was created first, and Eve was deceived. That's what he was saying in that whole passage, okay? So... We're going to go to the last passage. It's 1 Corinthians 11.3. You can put this one up on the screen. I wrote this down. Praise the Lord. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Okay? So if you can put up those three reasons, there's three reasons why. I think that this is actually Paul trying to empower women, right? It sounds like it's not, okay? It sounds like it's saying that almost like men are better than women because they are the head over women, okay? So there's three reasons I think it's not saying that. Reason number one, don't say it's all Greek to me, but here we go again, okay? So in Greek, the word that is used for men is the same word as husbands. There is absolutely and utterly no difference, okay? They would use the same word, and they literally thought, oh, everyone would know which one it is by the context. Guess who's having struggles with that right now? The church, okay? So the word used for woman and wife is the same exact word, okay? And they figured, hey, no one's going to have problems with this because it makes sense, okay? So anyways, I don't know why they wrote the language like that. Reason number two, kingdom authority. Holy. Um, So kingdom authority, what does it look like to have authority over another person? Okay, we're going to break that down more, but in the kingdom, authority doesn't look like what it looks like in the world. So, number three, there's this little statement at the end of that verse. It says, and the head of Christ is God. I think that is the key to interpreting this verse correctly, okay? God is not superior to Jesus, okay? And there's this verse in Genesis that... You can put up, I guess we don't have to look at it right now, but basically it says that a man will leave his uh, mother and father and cleave or stick to his wife and the two will become one flesh, okay? And so we're going to talk about these reasons, one, two, three. So our first clue that Paul is trying to empower women is that husband and man and woman and wife is the same word in Greek, okay? So if we read this verse with man and woman, we have a verse in the New Testament that is more restrictive than the curse that was placed on women in Genesis 3. I'm not going to go into it right now, but in Genesis 3, during the fall, right, when they ate the fruit, when Eve ate the fruit and gave it to her husband, and he ate, and sin entered the world. There was a curse that was given to woman, and it said, the curse is this, that your desire will be for your husband, and that he will rule over you, okay? And the curse given to man is that the curse is the ground, and it will bear thorns and thistles, and you will toil, and you will have to work for your living. So when Jesus went to the cross, right, he broke all those curses off of us. It says that in Galatians 3. So that curse has been broken, okay? So underneath the tyranny of sin, 
the darkness and brokenness of sin, women were subject to their husbands and they served their husbands because of the brokenness of sin, because of the curse placed on them. So I seriously doubt that this says man and woman. I think it says husband and wife, okay? And so... Um, just to give you an idea of other people's opinions, 27 translations translate this husband, wife, and 16 man, woman. So take your pick. Because it doesn't matter, because reason number two, even if you use man and woman, Paul is still empowering women. Okay? But I think reason number one is important because it's really cool. Anyways, um, <laughs> reason number two is kingdom authority. So uh, let's read Matthew 20, 25 through 26. Um, it says, but Jesus called them together, his disciples. You know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. So we see not only here, but all over the Bible, when Jesus was on the earth, he was showing his disciples what it looked like to have authority. Jesus even said, I am your master. And his whole life, he showed them this is what it looks like when I have authority over you. And let's think about it, guys. What did Jesus do with his disciples? He raised them up. He even gave them his own authority. He gave them his own power to perform miracles, and they cast out demons, okay? So what kingdom authority looks like is raising the other person up. It looks like servanthood, right? So if you have authority over somebody, you raise that person up. You call them into your destiny. You serve that person. That's why Jesus got down low and he had a towel and he washed his disciples' feet because he was trying to show you again and again and again, this is what it looks like to have authority over someone. This is what it looks like to be the head of someone, okay? So our last clue that this passage um, is actually empowering to women is that it says that God is the head of Christ, right? And so we are going to look at one of my bonus verses. I think it's Ephesians, um, Ephesians 2.6. So if you have that one, I don't know if I gave it to you in time, but you could put it up. Ephesians 2.6, again, David annotated translation. It basically says that God has seated us in heavenly places above all things, right? And so this is me showing you in the scriptures that Jesus actually set us in heavenly places and gave us his own authority. So Jesus is not superior to God, and he couldn't be. He couldn't possibly be because God is Jesus. And for some of you who don't totally understand the Trinity, it's basically almost like the husband-wife parallel, okay? So there's a bunch of verses that I'm not going to talk about tonight that show that Jesus actually is above all things. He has a name above all names, and he is the Lord above all lords. You understand, if Jesus wasn't God, that would be blasphemy, okay? That's part of the reason the Jews were so upset. They're like, that doesn't make any sense because this guy's preaching blasphemy, okay? So anyways, um... If, if, if you remember Genesis 2.24, it says that a man will leave his father and his mother and he will cleave or stick to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So I know this is a little bit weird, but when people get married, husband kind of is wife. The two sort of become one and they're totally still separate, just like Jesus and God are totally separate beings, but they're also still kind of the same. It's a little bit weird. I think Jesus gave us marriage on the earth so that we could have a picture of what the Trinity looked like, right? So God, with all of his authority in heaven, he takes, and in Ephesians 1.20, he sets Jesus Jesus above all things, and he makes everything a footstool at his feet. God is the head of Christ, and he puts Jesus above everything, gives him the name above all names. Jesus, with his disciples, sets his disciples up in heavenly places. He gives them the power and authority to cast out demons and perform miracles. His own power that raised him from the dead, he imparts to his disciples his own legacy, okay? So if you want to know what it looks like to be the head of someone, look at how God treated Jesus. Look at how Jesus treated his disciples. So guess what, guys? How do you think husbands should be treating their wives? Or if you want to go there, we can throw down and you can say it's man and woman. How do you think men should treat women, men? You know what I'm saying? And so what the Bible says is that uh, husbands should lay down their, their lives for their wives, okay? That they should love them the way that Christ loved the church. Okay, so Romans 8, 17, I'm going to read it really quick. It says, and since we are children, we are heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. I bet some of you wish I cut out that last part. Anyways, let's just put up, can you put up the three reasons about 1 Corinthians 14 again? 
Um, so I think for 1 Corinthians 14, um, yeah, for 1 Corinthians 14, what Paul was doing, if you remember, this is your review, he was breaking the lie of Judaism, okay? The Jewish people in 1 Corinthians 14, they were saying that they were coming into the church in Corinth and they were bringing their own culture and they were trying to say, hey, I see that you have a problem with women because we kind of know that they did have this problem in Corinth where women were talking in church, okay? And so it's like, I see you have this problem with women. I have the solution. Women should keep quiet in church and they should learn in all submission and they, if they have a question of theology, ask their husbands, okay? And so in that verse, we talked about those three reasons why Paul was actually trying to set women free. He used the expletive disassociation to say, hey, there's this group of people in your church. They're saying this thing to women that they need to shut up. Okay, and that is nonsense, right? And so the second reason, again, if you remember, is that he says that women should keep quiet like it says in the law of Moses. Guys, you can read the law, and it's long, and it's not there, okay? But it is in the tradition of the Pharisees. It is all over the tradition of the Pharisees, but that is not the law of God, okay? And we talked about the summer vacation example, okay? There's no way that there would be like, hey, we're home from summer vacation, right? We're all going to share stories, but none of the women can talk. See, if Paul was making that statement, that sounds ridiculous, okay? He's saying you all have something to share, but none of the women can speak. I don't think he was saying that, okay? If you can put up First Timothy again, this is your five-second answer. If someone shows you this verse because you're leading a Bible study and they say, hey, I do not permit a woman to have authority over a man right? I do not permit a woman to teach a man. What you tell that person in five seconds is that Paul was admonishing a group, a cult inside the church of Ephesus that was preaching. Basically, he, he was admonishing a group of women that they can't preach because of their filter. And you don't even have to know what they were saying. You just have to know the answer was out there, okay? That Paul was telling a specific group of women that this group of women can't teach because they are destroying women and they're also destroying men. And I think women actually got hurt more because they were told their salvation was based on works. They were told that their life was threatened, okay? And that verse is really about how Paul was telling the women in Ephesus that if you love God, he will preserve your life. He's not talking about he'll take you to heaven. When you're bearing children, God will watch over you because he loves you and you're his daughter, okay? Um, unless you're a guy. So anyways, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the last reason is it's all Greek to me. It's that word um, that basically, when it's saying authority, it's not saying like a normal authority. There's 11 healthy types of authority in the Bible. There's 47 types, 46 other types of authority, right? But he uses this one word this one time in scripture, and it's like the most negative connotation he could have picked. So he's not saying, I don't permit a woman to have authority over a man. He's saying, I don't permit a woman to domineer over a man and make all of his desires subject to her own. And you want know why? Not because it's totally unfair to the man, because Paul knew this will destroy the woman. If you worship any human being, it will destroy them, okay? And if you worship yourself, same thing. Sorry. Anyways, so 1 Corinthians 11, right? We're going to slow down, talk about the reasons, right? Your five-second answer is, as husbands, we raise up our wives, and we bring them up, and we call them into the, the destiny that God has for their life, Okay? And you're, the summary of the three reasons is wives and women and men and husbands is the same word in Greek, okay? And I think it's wife and husband. The second reason is kingdom authority, right? Whether you think it's man or husband, whatever you think, I think Jesus, there's a pattern here, right? God raised Christ above everything. Christ raised his disciples and husbands and men above everything. So what do you think men, what do you think husbands should do with their wives? They should follow the chain, right? And they should have authority over their wife. And let me tell you guys, I didn't want to go into this a lot, but husband is the head of wife. That is what scripture says. And there is a time when Jesus wanted to do something in scripture. God was the head over Christ and he wouldn't let Jesus do it. Okay. That time was when Jesus didn't want to go to the cross and he asked the father if there was any other way. Okay. And so the father's actually like, he exercised his headship and his authority over Jesus. You want to know why? He didn't say, this is what you're going to do. You just have to like it. Okay. He said that God has a destiny, and he's like, God, right? So that's weird. So he said, God has a destiny for you, and I will not let you settle for less. I have seen the burning in your heart for humanity, and I will not let you settle for less. So when you're a husband and you have a wife, you look that woman in the face and you say, I will not let you settle 
for less than God has for you. That's what it looks like to have authority. That's what it looks like to disciple someone too, kind of. Anyways, um, and the last reason is God is not superior to Jesus and God is not. They're like the same, right? God is not superior to Jesus. Jesus is not superior to God, okay? And um, they can't be because Jesus is God, right? And husband can't be greater than wife, can't be smarter than wife, because husband is wife. You know what I mean? And I know that sounds a little bit weird to you guys. It's hard to understand, but whatever. So um, I just want to say the Bible does not contradict itself. But if you take it out of the context that it was written, you can make it say whatever the heck you want it to say. The reason there's so many wars started over this thing, the reason people say this supports slavery and the oppression of women is because if you take the Bible out of its context, if you don't know that Paul was writing a letter to Timothy and trying to say there is a cult in Ephesus that is telling women, if you don't run through the streets and say great is Diana in the earth, then you are going to die. Okay, and your baby is going to die, and there is no hope. Okay, so if you take it out of that context, you can make the Bible say whatever it is you want it to say. Okay, but if we keep it in its context, if we do not superimpose other circumstances on it, it can actually be redemptive for our lives, it can actually set us free. And we can actually see that the very verses that people use to beat down women over the centuries are Paul's three thrusts at empowering women, right? <laughs> empowering and setting them free, and even exposing a perversion in uh, Ephesus that was a Greek town where they worshiped women and women are like, yeah, I feel kind of good. They tell me men have to serve me, right? But there is brokenness and there's so much oppression and you're like, I guess I might die and I guess I have to lead my husband and me and he like looks to me for everything and I can't, I can't be that for him, right? So anyways, guys, I want to really wrap this message up and I just want to say that now you should really see there's no barriers for women, Okay, there's nothing that there's not a cap on women that's not on men, that there's something that's like, hey, this is the maximum you can achieve. Like, I'm so happy that you're doing great right now, but you can never be a senior pastor in a church. Okay, because of First Timothy right here, it says, hey, I don't permit a woman to teach over man. We talked about what's really being said there. So no one can say to you, hey, you can't plant a church. Female apostle, where's that in the Bible? And you know what? I could show you, but we're not going to go through that tonight. Okay, so anyways. Um, I think there's something that women have to share with us guys, and I think, like I said, that men are trying to live in both roles, and they're doing it unsuccessfully, that they cannot be a father, they cannot be a patriarch if they are trying to be a mother at the same time, and they're doing a poor job of the thing that they were made to do because they're trying to do two things, and that there is a vacuum because there are no mothers in the church. There are no matriarchs in the church. One of the reasons our church is blessed, and I'm just going to go here. If it offends you, get over it, right? One of the reasons our church is blessed is because Pastor Teresa is one of the senior pastors of our church because we have women in leadership in our church and we honor them. But I want to give you the reasons why. And I want you to be able to stand on the word when you're having a bad day and someone comes up to you and they say a false doctrine. I want you to be able to say, no, that is not what scripture says. Okay. So anything, um, guys, I want to invite you all to stand up right now. Everyone in the room, stand up. We're all going to stand up. Okay. So right now, guys, um, let's just pray for the women in our church. You, you guys, just pray for the women at their seats. Just put a hand on their shoulder. Just pray to release identity. Pray, pray to release destiny. And before we start that, I am going to just bless you guys. And yeah, so anyways, God, I just pray for everyone in this crowd. I just pray for all the men, Father, that you would show us that it's not going to work, this whole authority thing, if we don't raise women up. If they try to get authority on their own through their own power and force their way through, they might end up looking like a man. And we need them to be a woman. We need them to be a mother and a matriarch, okay? So I just bless our women in Jesus' name. Amen. So guys, uh, we're ending the time here. We're just going to walk around and the men are going to go pray for the women and Andrew's going to give you some more direction. Okay, that's it. Okay, so we are just going to pray now. Before, can we just thank Jesus for such a good word? That is, that's good preaching. I'm not just saying that. That is good preaching. And I don't know if you guys know this, but if you kept feeling winds during the whole time, does anyone feel that like a fan? 
The AC is off. That's why I kept looking around. The, both of those things are completely off. Scripture says that God makes his angels like winds. And I'm just telling you, God confirms his word with signs and wonders following. This is a good word, and the angels got excited because God said, hey, I want you to come down. And the Lord confirmed it. I'm, tell, I'm sitting here blown away like, is the stinking AC on? What is going on? And we're like getting blown on the whole time. Like the, the winds, just the angels coming through, confirming the word, signs and wonders. Just in case you weren't sure. We had turned everything off, and then it just starts blowing wind. Come on, man. <sighs> every, every woman, I want, a, let, let's, let's just, guys, just come around. Every, every girl you see, I know you might have to do groups. That may be better. Actually, come out of your seats. That might, that's a good, good, good idea, John, because it's going to be hard to get to everybody. Come, everyone, everyone, just come out here to the front, so that way we can lay hands on every girl. <clears throat> come on. Guys, and then guys dudes in the church we would have missed out on the resurrection okay that was women who told us Jesus rose from the dead okay yeah. we would be sitting here wondering what the heck happened to me okay so if we can just play like the there's this on iTunes there's like the medium to slow songs playlist just play that softly in the background we're just going to go around and we're just going to lay hands on all of them and just bless every yeah there's a lot more girls in here than there is guys come on that's another reason why girls are cool. Anyway, so you just play that, um, and you guys just open your hands, just receive, and just thank God. And guys, just come around. If you don't have a fancy prayer, doesn't matter. We're just going to bless bless them. Just pray that God will bless them. Every limitation will be lifted off. Just go ahead and start praying now. That, we, that every limitation... Father, we thank you all over this place. Every limitation be broken off in the name of Jesus. You guys can go around and just start laying hands on them and just blessing them. God, we thank you for it. Every limitation, every lie, every, everything, every religious spirit that tried to hold women down. God, we thank you. We thank you for the release of freedom tonight in the name of Jesus.